0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voices but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, "'Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas. Look for a man named Tarsus, named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight.' But Ananias answered, "'Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem.'" And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained sight when he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus is in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them down before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing them, proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. My name is Mark. I'm on staff here and I always love the mass exodus of children (laughs) for children's ministries. Uh, When I was in seminary, I had several part-time jobs. I think last time we counted, I had about 14 different jobs and they ranged from pizza delivery to I was the playground manager at a doggy daycare for a while. That was a fun one. Uh, Probably my favorite job was working for a tree service uh, we would cut down trees that were in danger of falling on houses or we cut up trees that were, had already fallen um, and you know any job that involves climbing trees and chainsaws is going to be fun uh, but the best part of the job was at the end of the day we take the logs back to my boss's house and everybody who worked that day would kind of get in a circle and you'd pass around the axe and everybody gets one swing to try to split the log in half uh, and if you've i don't know when the last time you split wood was but it can be a very polarizing experience you can either feel like as burly as Paul Bunyan if you swing it and, you know, both of the pieces go flying, kind of like when a Captain America just rips the log with his hands. Or you can feel like a real sissy, like I did a lot, where you swing it and it just kind of sticks and nothing happens. It's like a dent in the wood. Uh, but I always loved it whenever it was my boss's turn, because without fail, if he swung the axe and it didn't split, he would get really quiet He'd kind of have this pensive look on his face and say, you know, guys, uh, the hardest wood to split makes the best firewood. Now, that's a poor excuse to not be able to chop wood, but it is true, (laughs) and the saying is true for Christians, Uh, especially in the case of Saul. The hardest wood to split makes the best firewood. Saul was so passionately against Jesus and his followers that when God finally breaks in and changes his heart, uh, he did a 180 and became a passionate servant for Christ. Um, To clarify, Saul and Paul are the same person. Uh, Saul is his Jewish name, and Paul is his Greek name. So there's no denying that Paul's conversion here is dramatic. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you you probably know this story. Uh, But we would be missing out if we didn't see this as foundational for how every Christian comes to follow Jesus. If you consider yourself a Christian this morning, we should see aspects of our own conversion in this story. And if you're here today and you haven't yet come to follow Jesus, you haven't put your trust in him, I don't want this story to intimidate you. I don't want you to feel like you have to be struck blind for the pieces to kind of click and for you to say, okay, yeah, now I I can follow Jesus. Uh, If you are following Jesus, maybe you've spent your entire life in the church. My hope is that you would not view your conversion as anything less than miraculous. What could possibly be more miraculous and dramatic than God the Son coming to earth, taking on human flesh in order to live a sinless life, obeying every aspect of God's law, taking on our sin, laying down his life for ours, Defeating death, ascending into heaven, sending the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower his people so that, as Paul's going to say later in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, So that Jesus could sanctify his people and present us to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, so that we might be holy and without blemish. If you are in Christ, that is your story. Yes, Saul's conversion was dramatic and impossible outside of God, and it can seem to be very different from our own conversion experiences. But what I want to pitch at you this morning is that the mere fact that God draws any of us to him in faith is a miracle. Our disordered loves, our sin, it blinds us to the reality that God is at work in every situation. Uh, And it's only by God's grace that our eyes can be opened to see the truth of the gospel. And so with that, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, it's living, and it's active. And you give it to us because you love us, and you want us to see you. And so would you send your Holy Spirit, help us to see you clearly, help us to see ourselves clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Uh, Look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Saul, or Paul, as he's known throughout the New Testament, I'm just going to say Paul. Um, He has gone to the Jewish authorities and he's begged them for permission to go down and hunt and maybe even kill some Christians Uh, to, to the early Christian church, what's known as the way, which is a really cool name, I think. Uh, and just to be clear, Paul is not some, like, ninja assassin sent out by the secret brotherhood to take out Christians. He's just a really passionate, devout Jewish leader, is what was known as a Pharisee. And in his mind, he was protecting his beliefs, right? He thought he was protecting God's name. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene declaring that he is the Jewish Messiah that God's people have been looking for for years and years, uh, he was not the Messiah that everybody was expecting, And so many of them saw Christianity as deviant and a danger to their religion. In other words, Paul thought he was acting in a way that was pleasing to God, but because God had not yet transformed his way of thinking and not yet taken away his kind of hardness of heart and taken away his blindness to reveal the truth of who Jesus is, uh, he was actually acting contrary to God's will. So when Paul is struck blind, uh, when Jesus takes away his ability to see, what we're seeing is this outward expression of the reality of inner, Paul's inner blindness. Paul, he'll tell us later in the book of Philippians that if anyone could have been considered good in terms of strictly following the law, right, in terms of personal righteousness, it would have been him. He says in Philippians 3, this is verses 4 through 6, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, Paul's about as good as you could get on the outside. right? In terms of behavior and doing the right thing from a Jewish perspective, he was just knocking it out of the park. Uh, this is a picture of Paul's heart before God draws him to faith in Jesus. And he goes on to say in the next two verses in Philippians, he says, but whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I'd I'd get rid of everything if I could just know Jesus. If you're here this morning, and for some reason you cannot imagine that Jesus would ever forgive you for the things you've done or the places you've been, look at Paul. He would have been considered a very moral person by his peers, Uh, But his intentions in Acts 9 are very clear. He wanted to hurt and maybe even kill some Christians. And so if pride is keeping you from wholeheartedly giving yourself to God and following Jesus, Paul has even more of a reason to be prideful. So how does God go about bringing Paul to faith? Uh, We're going to have to jump around a little bit in the book of Acts to see this, but it's it's worth it. Uh, In Acts chapter 7, that we looked at a few weeks ago, we saw the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons. Uh, in the church. So all of you guys going through deacon training, you got some really good stuff to look forward to. Uh, He is brought before the high priest by some angry Jews, and he gives a sermon that basically recaps all the Old Testament in just a few minutes, and he shows how Jesus is the Messiah, God's Savior that he's been promising. Uh, And then he ends his sermon by kind of rebuking the Jews. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. For future reference, this is not the correct way to quiet an angry mob that wants to kill you. They go crazy when they hear Stephen preach the gospel, and as they murder him by throwing stones at him, he cries out, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the last thing he says, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And the account goes on to tell us that not only was Paul there, but that he approved of Stephen's execution. Think about that for a second. How did Luke, the author of the book of Acts, how did he have such a detailed account of Stephen's sermon and what was going on? I don't think it was Stephen who told him. It's kind of dark, sorry. Uh, The logical explanation is that Paul is the one who told Luke, right? Paul and Luke would travel throughout the rest of the book of Acts together. And so what does it mean that it's Paul is the one who's telling Luke the account of Stephen's sermon and his subsequent execution? How could he have remembered it so clearly? I think, this, I think it's safe to say that watching Stephen's death really stuck with Paul. Right? seems like it might have kept him up at night. Stephen died asking God to forgive Paul. Surely that must have made an impact. I mean, on a side note, is it not beautiful that Stephen's prayer is answered, isn't it, in Paul? God forgives Paul, and he uses Paul for incredible things my point in saying all that is that this kind of damascus road experience where paul struck blind and comes to faith in jesus uh, this was not his first experience with christ right he saw christ before in the face of stephen a man who was being killed and he asked god to forgive him paul was being prepared for his conversion when jesus says in verse 4 saul saul why are you persecuting me and he says again i am jesus whom you are persecuting Uh, Paul would have instantly identified Jesus with men like Stephen and other men and women who had suffered such horrible things because of him. Uh, Later in Acts 26, towards the end of the book of Acts, Paul is brought before a guy named King Agrippa, and he's kind of giving an account of things. And this is his description of his conversion in a little more detail. This is verse 14. He says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What is a goad, and why is it hard to kick against? Uh, unless you're a shepherd by trade, which I don't think is anybody here, uh, a goad is a stick with a pointy end that you use to get animals to go the right way you want them to go. And, you know, sheep and cows have never been accused of being too smart. But when push comes to shove, they know that you, you run away from the pointy stick. Right? That That worked. Uh, when Jesus tells Paul that it's hard to kick against the goads, Jesus is saying that he's been giving Paul little stabs to his heart this whole time. right? He's been preparing Paul to get his attention. The pain and the burning conscience that Paul caused Paul to remember Stephen's death so well, uh, that was Jesus working in Paul's heart, goading them. What are the goads in your life? What is, what is God poking and prodding you with? What, what nerves is he touching? Uh, Is it kind of the places your mind goes to when things get a little too quiet and you have to actually deal with your thoughts? Is it Maybe it's that friend who's asked you to come to church so many times and you finally just came today to kind of quiet them. Maybe it's the pangs of guilt you have for acting one way at work or around friends and you kind of flip a switch and act the Christian way at church or around your Christian friends. Uh, The guilt that comes with a way of not reflecting your beliefs. that's That's a sharp goad, isn't it? I felt that. When Jesus tells Paul it's hard to kick against the goads, he's kind of going into Paul's personal history and giving him a way of processing what's going on. Y'all, whether you trust Jesus or not, find some time to be still and search out any goads that God is poking you with. If you've got questions today or you just can't stop thinking about that one thing in your life or in the Bible, please do not stay quiet about that. Please come and talk to us. Please find anybody in this church. And if they don't know, they'll find somebody who does. Um, you're not alone and you're not meant to be alone. You know, Christianity is a team sport in that sense. We are not meant to figure this out on our own. So Paul's conversion was dramatic, uh, but it was not confined to just one singular point. For those of you who are elders or you deacons, you're on the care team or serve team, or you just want to tell your neighbor about Jesus and care for folks in your community, you can rest assured that when we do ministry that's all of us. When we sit with someone who's grieving or in a crisis or just needs a friend, or when someone new comes into our lives and we get to know them, we're not covering new unplowed territory. Right? When you enter into someone's life, God is, is at work then, and he has been at work well before you and I showed up on the scene. Uh, look back at verses 10 through 16. It's a big chunk. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I have this image of Ananias, you know, hearing from God, and he gets really excited, doesn't he? He's like, here I am, Lord, I'm ready to serve you. Uh, And God says, all right, go to Straight Street, which I would also love to see Straight Street. He said, God, go to the house of Judas. Yep. Uh, A guy from Tarsus, okay, looking for a man named Saul. Saul, the Saul, the guy who's been persecuting your church and trying to hunt us down and kill us. Y'all, the beauty of the gospel is that God does not restrict himself to only using the kind of pretty, polished, put-together people for his good work. Amen? Uh, Think of anyone in the Bible besides Jesus, and we can probably find at least one way where they just blew it. They made a mess of it. Uh, You look in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, it goes through a bunch of Old Testament men and women saying how good they were. And all those people we noticed some really bad things. Uh, but at the end of it, it says they were commended through their faith. It's not because of what they did or didn't do. They were commended through their faith in God. You are not always going to get things right. You are not always going to act the way a follower of Christ should. It is our faith in Christ and his work that saves us, not our works, not our behavior. As righteous as Paul was in the eyes of the Pharisees and other Jewish folks, Anani speaks truth when he calls Paul's actions evil. Right? No matter how sincere Paul was, he would have no excuse standing before God if asked to give an account for his actions. However, out of his grace, God chooses us. And when God chooses us, after pricking us with whatever goads necessary, he drives us straight into the open arms of Christ. The heart of what it means to be converted is to be in union with Christ. Right. Ephesians 2 puts this really beautifully. This is verses 4 through 6. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God chose us when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were still his enemies, if you are doubting your salvation today because you don't think your conversion was dramatic enough, maybe you didn't quite hit rock bottom like other people have, keep in mind the language that Paul uses to describe God's love. He says, you were dead in sin and God made you alive. Right? There's no distinction between like a sinner and a really bad sinner, is there? It's just a dead sinner. Likewise, those who are now in union with Christ by grace uh, are alive. God chooses us and he gives us life. And when God gives us life in Christ, he brings us into community, into the body of Christ, into the fellowship of other believers. Look at this. This is so beautiful. This is verses 17 through 19. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Uh, When Holly and I first got married, we were living in Charlotte. I was taking classes, and I had to go to Orlando to take a few classes. Thankfully, Holly had family down in Orlando, uh, but she couldn't come with me. She had to work. And so I was down there for like three weeks. And I'm pretty introverted now, but I was extremely introverted 13 years ago. Uh, and her family is not at all. And so I remember walking through the door, like knocking on the door, and I'm met with this just barrage of hugs and kisses. oh, welcome. Come on in. You know, I'm trying to do the nice, polite thing. Well, thank you so much for letting me stay at your house. And they kind of cut me off. They said, you're, you're family, Mark. Come on in. Uh, and that was, that was the theme of those couple weeks. I'd be like, hey, can I have this leftover pizza? You're family, Mark. Hey, can I wash these clothes? I've been wearing this shirt for a week. You're family, Right. Holly's family are not Italian mobsters. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, <laughs> but Luke, <laughs> Luke's account uh, and those who are with Paul on the road to Damascus, it says that they were, they were speechless. They were struck down too. And it says that Paul didn't eat or drink anything for three days. And so it doesn't seem that far-fetched to think that Ananias is probably the first guy who spoke directly to Paul. And what does he say? Does he accuse Paul and tell him he's not worthy to be used by God? Did he make Paul feel like a second-rate Christian? No. He says, Brother Saul, welcome to the family. Brother Saul, are you kidding me? Ananias, instead of condemning Paul, instead of pointing out all his past mistakes, he comes with these wonderful words of life. Brother Saul. Uh, Those couple of verses we just read, Ananias' interaction with Paul, is kind of just Christianity in a nutshell. There's prayer. There's power of the Holy Spirit. There's enemies becoming family. There's the blind receiving sight. There's baptism, right? That sign by which we, are entered, we enter into this covenant community. Uh, there's eating food with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God does not let Paul be a Christian by himself. He's not isolated. And the first thing that happens is that Paul has an encounter with God's people. Right? Ananias is sent to him. As you follow Jesus, or if you're just starting out or you're thinking about starting out, there must be a community of people who can help you explain what happened to you when you start coming to Jesus. You cannot make sense of your relationship with Christ all by yourself. Like, there's something that unique that happens in a group of Christians that doesn't happen if you're just out, kind of out in the woods praying and listening to, to music and reading scripture, as much fun as that is, and you should do that too. But there's something that just doesn't happen outside of corporate worship here. This is a call to be in community with each other, right? Opening up to those you trust, kind of sharing the often embarrassing details about your life. Stick around after worship and hang out with people. Like we don't like lock these doors as soon as the worship service is over. And most of y'all do stick around. Uh, Get plugged into a city group. Have people over to your house to eat. uh, Go on a group hike. Paul's ministry had a greater impact precisely because of his checkered past. He saw himself as the chief of sinners, and he was constantly aware of his shortcomings, and this enabled him to never forget that it was God, not Paul, who was doing such great things in the world. For those of you who aren't sure what you believe, uh, or maybe you're doubting whether your conversion is real, I want to encourage you again that, yes, although Paul's conversion was dramatic, uh, it wasn't confined to just one solitary moment. It was a process where God prodded him along bit by bit. So whether you came here today out of curiosity or because someone invited to you, or this was just the first church that popped up on Google that didn't look crazy, uh, you're here. <laughs> for better or for worse, maybe. Maybe this is a crazy church, but look into what brought you here. Search out the goes in your life and how God is poking and prodding you along and rest assured that God is at work in your life. You're not doing this alone, even if it might feel like it right now. If your confidence is in Jesus today, know that God has graciously received us in the community and to a body of believers who are all united in Christ. And we can celebrate our miraculous movement from dead in Christ, our dead in sin to alive in Christ. Uh, when Christ came, he didn't come because he found the church to be lovely and beautiful and useful. He came in spite of our foulness, in spite of our greed and anger and bitterness. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he has made the church beautiful. And he will one day make you spotless. Amen? And let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this beautiful truth that no one is so far gone that they are outside the reach of your grace. Uh, Would you bring comfort to those who need it this morning? Uh, To those here who might think that they've earned a place with you somehow, uh, would you humble us? Would you give us the right perspective that it is all of your grace from start to finish And we can thank you for when we do well, and we can ask forgiveness when we don't. We know that you always give it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Would you humble us? Would you give us the right perspective that it is all of your grace from start to finish? And we can thank you for when we do well, and we can ask forgiveness when we don't. We know that you always give it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.